We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 493 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Hilton, and I know you probably haven't finished the podcast from a few hours ago with the purists, but I promise you can go back to that one after we finish up with this, because this match didn't change any of the things that the purists and I discussed in that show. People have responded well to these so far, that being these match reviews slash podcasts that I've been doing. So I'm going to keep doing them for a little moving forward, especially until I'm more comfortable getting back on camera full-time, we'll say. So here it is, the five headlines from Barcelona's 4-2 win for the Gampere Trophy, that being over Tottenham Hotspur. Before we even get started, though, a few years ago, I did a history of the Gampere Trophy, so make sure you check that out down in the section below. And since those history videos don't excite everybody, they don't get the same number of views and engagement as these match reviews and things, I'm pleading for people who don't subscribe, which is over half of you watching this, please subscribe to the channel. Just do it right now. The first five years of the channel, I learned that I didn't beg enough. That's why I'm at the number I'm at right now. So like Xavi in a meeting about getting another attacking midfielder, I'm going to be asking a bit harder from here on out. So with all the pleading done, there it is. That's one final plea. Please subscribe to the channel. Let's now jump into the headlines. Headline one is season on the horizon. The Juan Gampere Trophy is usually the last warm-up, and I like the tradition. I like that the captain speaks. I like that the fans are all there, and they get to introduce the players and celebrate. I know all the different teams do it. It's not a specific to Barcelona thing, but I do enjoy that they have this tradition, and they name it after Juan Gampere, and at least maybe a new fan might learn something, or one out of every 100 fans might learn something about the club and its history by having this kind of event. And having Sergio Roberto giving the speech at Montjuic, though... That says a lot about the current state of Barcelona, but we don't need to rehash that latter part. As weird as, again, Sergio Roberto being the main captain of Barcelona and giving the speech at Mons Week. Because getting into the Mons Week part of it, this was the raid debut, I guess you'd call it. The modern debut of Mons Week as Barcelona's playing ground. Mons Week, or the Estadio Olympique Luis Compañas, has never really been Barcelona's main playing ground in its history. But there have been moments, but again, just moments in its history. It's only primarily been what was a, I guess, American football team, you'd call it, a Barcelona Dragons American football. Again, that's why I'm using that term. They didn't play in the NFL in the same league or anything like that. But it was called the Barcelona Dragons. They played there from 91 to 92, and again from 95 to 2002. Espanyol did play there from 1997 to 2009. 
So they did use that stadium for quite a while. And now Barcelona here now. Now Barcelona and Espanyol, they did play out what was at the time the Copa del Rey or the Copa del Generalissimo back in the 1957. So back in the, the late 50s. And then the Mediterranean Games, which again, if you check my channel and just type in Mediterranean Games, you'll see some history on that competition as well. Back in 1955, that is what the bid was for. And then the 1992 Summer Olympics. Things also happened there at Montjuic to do with the Olympics. And that was a time when the world really did descend upon Montjuic for, we'll say, the first time ever. Real Madrid has actually played more cup finals at Montjuic than Barcelona, but I think we're done with the history lesson here. Because having gone there myself in the past, I concur with all the frustrations. The steps are mainly electronic, which should make it in theory easier, but it's still a hike to walk to those electronic steps, especially for those with less mobility. But Camp Nou isn't that much better. It's a bit more difficult to get to by public transportation as well, with less options on the way out especially. It's a really nice stadium. I mean, visually, it's a nice stadium, but it doesn't matter because I don't live there and I don't have a season ticket because they seem to have made up their minds. Out of 83,500 season ticket holders at the Camp Nou, less than 20,000 have taken the option to take their season tickets to Montjuic this season. The club reportedly wanted 27,385 to do so. So to be just two-thirds of the way to the goal isn't great for the gate revenue, which we know is especially important to Barcelona. But I will say that, as was the case with Barcelona by January of now two seasons ago when Xavi arrived, some good form to start the year will make the stadium a destination. I can almost guarantee that. If results are going in a positive direction and the team is exciting and playing the kind of football that locals want to watch, then they will come. The official number for this match was 35,224 fans. And that is frustrating because, as I just said, the stadium fits almost 56,000. So about two-thirds of where it should have been. That's not great. And as I just said before, gate revenue is more important than other clubs around Europe. And that is a big reason why, aside from those levers, it feels like Barca's purse strings are even tighter this summer. But I am getting ahead of myself. We have more headlines to go. Because lastly, the point of this friendly was to stay healthy and get some good vibes going into the season. As we'll discuss, Barca basically get a B- minus in both of those categories. Tottenham, for most of the match, understood the assignment. Not bringing their best to even make the trip so you don't get them injured. No Harry Kane, no Hugo Lloris, no Kuliszewski, no James Madison, no Christian Romero. Son didn't play from the bench. They had little pressure to get a result other than the players on the field being the players who were looking to impress to stay relevant. Barcelona, because it is at their home stadium, it is their cup, the Juan Camper Trophy, there is great pressure to get a result and win that trophy for the fans. And I wonder if Tottenham didn't help them out there late on in the game. That's a bit of conspiracy, Dan, but I don't know. It's some good things. Once again, we'll get to it. Headline two, what worked early? The 1-0, that's how this game starts in around the fourth minute. Orlo Romeu sends Rafinha. Rafinha wins the race and finds Lewandowski at the far post. Lewandowski finishes. First touch on the bounce. Maybe a difficult finish for another striker, but the Polish striker makes it look easy. And until the 20th minute, it was all positive signs. I mean, that's what was working for Barcelona. There were through balls galore. Other than the first goal, Balde in the 17th, and again a few minutes later, getting forward, getting in behind the defense, and unfortunately Lewandowski had a miss, Rafinha had a miss, and Barcelona didn't get that second. And then things got really gummed up, as we know. But what was really good, I think, to start the match, being positive about the first 20 to 30 minutes, was that the spacing and buildup between Romeo, De Jong, Gabi, and Pedri, I thought that Romeo, once again, was a positive here. And I'm not saying, and I know hyperbole is going to come into effect very shortly with Kool-Aid's, I'm not saying that he is 
great defensive midfield option. There is still the idea that in, especially next summer, Barcelona need to be investing heavily in their pivot or defensive midfielder, whatever you want to call it, of the future. Romeo is a stopgap option, but I'm already saying through the preseason, what did I tell you that he was going to do more than anything else other than being safe? He was going to eat up a lot of minutes <laughs> and he was going to do his role to the letter because that's what he did at Girona. And so far, I am seeing Girona's Romeo, which is really good. That's what I wanted to see. Clearly, he has gotten the proper instructions and he knows what his role is next to the young in that pivot role. Don't ask him to do too much. Don't expect too much of him, but expect exactly what you've gotten from the preseason. And that is the player that he was for Girona. He was one of the better pivots in not only the Liga, but I thought in the top five leagues. And that's not to say about his ceiling, but that is to talk about his floor. His floor seems to be good enough because again, he's an experienced player who knows how to do his job. And I've been pleasantly surprised with the job he's done. Again, I'm not overrating him as a player. It's not like he's a player that I didn't know who he was. I'm just happy that he's continuing to be who he was at Barcelona. Now that I've ground that point completely into the ground, let's head forward with headline number three, defensive concerns. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Pique and Puyol or Pique and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content... Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now playing at Montjuic, it's the worst excuse I can make, but I did notice quite a few players slipping. I don't know if the players, that being Barcelona players, not even the Tottenham players, were completely comfortable there on that ground just yet. I think they have some more getting used to it, just like the Tottenham players in that match. And it was another reason why I think, yeah, Tottenham had the two goals in the first half, but I did feel like even though the subs came in and things got a little wacky and wild in the second, it just felt better in the second for a lot of different reasons. But I even think the ball seemed to be moving better between the teams. And it just felt more like a proper football match in the second half, regardless of when the subs came in or anything like that. And I I think that in the early going, yeah, there was the early goal for Barcelona. But I just felt like the first 30, 40 minutes even through the first half that both teams were kind of, I don't know, it, it was something about the pitch that they weren't totally loving, which even in the other preseason matches in the U.S., there were a lot of complaints about those stadiums too. And hopefully most week is going to feel like home cooking. And Barcelona did kind of figure out where the little hops and the divots and the way the ball is going to move. I, I don't think they've gotten there yet. Talking about the defensive concerns, though, with that excuse, again, being completely thrown out the window, the 1-1. Pedri and Romeu, I know I just praise them, and they're two of Barcelona's most consistent players, but they are mainly to blame for this first goal. Neither tracked the runners, and Tottenham had numbers. Once that first shot hit the post, the rebound nicely went to skip for the finish, and that was it. Anyone who's listening to this can quickly go and look at the thumbnails from the last few weeks even over the summer, and the argument I have made about the importance of Pedri, just because I'm criticizing Pedri in this moment, is not some kind of broad stroke. In this moment... Pedri did not track his runner. In this moment, Romeu, who, again, I thought had a largely positive match, did not track his runner, not too happy with it. That's how the 1-1 happens. The 2-1, Perisic crosses in for skip, and this is rough from De Jong. Not good from De Jong. He didn't track him, didn't put a body on him, and too easy of a run from skip. All skip had to do after he made his initial run into the back line of Barcelona, he had to just stay up there. He cut back, what, like 10 yards, and then made a strong run into the box, and De Jong just did not put a body on like he should have. And as weird as it was to see De Jong get the Man of the Match award, which I don't know too much about that. I don't know why that happened. I think it was because he is one of the captains, and it just was good vibes and all that stuff. I don't want to say too much about it. I think De Jong has been good in preseason. I've been saying that, that when De Jong against Arsenal wasn't so great and wasn't the best midfielder on the field, Barcelona struggled, and they're conceding goals. In the other games, I thought De Jong was arguably the best midfielder on the field for any of the teams, and Barcelona were good. And I think more than any other player this season, even more than Pedri, because I think Pedri is consistently Pedri. De Jong is going to set the tempo for Barcelona on whether or not they're good in any given match. If De Jong is good, Barcelona may be good. If De Jong is not good, Barcelona may not be good. And I think Barcelona was not good because De Jong today was holding on to the ball a bit too long. His decision-making was slower than it should have been. I don't know if it was just fatigue or something like that, which is already consideration. It was just preseason, but he just wasn't sharp. I don't know why he wasn't sharp. And I know it seems like hypocritical for me to say this match felt like a broad stroke for De Jong about making some conclusion about him in the way that it didn't for Pedri and Romeu. But I think De Jong does dictate so much of the personality of this team in ways that I just said. Pedri and Romeu are more consistent in what they provide for you and what they do well. And they're going to do those things each and every match. 
and the variance for DeYoung's performances is just so much greater than the other two. It didn't help that Gabi wasn't fit either. I, I mean, that's nothing, so I'm not too worried about anything for Gabi. Don't need to talk about his performance as the inside forward, which he did last season to good effect, and I expect him on the press to be ready for that charge. I think Tottenham really cut through Barcelona's press quite easily, and I am willing to, instead of getting worried about that and say that Barcelona's press is in danger, I'm willing to say that Gabi was not 100% fit, and if Gabi is 100% fit and had played the same matches that his teammates had, that maybe Tottenham would have had just a little bit more trouble dealing with that press. Ron Araujo was at right back again as well. Need to be subbed off in the 30th. It was precautionary, you found out, for Hadafe, which is totally fair. But the idea that Araujo felt something and had to be removed for precautionary reasons is still cause for concern because Nico Martinez and Andres Christensen are also out. And I told you Eric Garcia would make somewhere between 10 and 15 appearances. As terrible as he is, that's the only reason the club would be hanging on to him, that being Eric Garcia. It's not like he's worth too much on the market either. And of course, we get to that special time in all these different podcasts and match reviews where you get to hear me talk about Eric Garcia, because once again, I felt like the internet wanted to talk about him in an instance when I don't know why people were talking about him. He has an inability to cover space, and he needs to be reactive, and that does not work against this competition. I did not learn anything to say that Eric Garcia should not be starting against Arsenal, should not be starting against Tottenham. He, that is not the caliber of player that he is. But once again... That is the paradox of Eric Garcia in this team. He's the fifth center back. He is dirt cheap and he accepts his limited playing time hypothetically. Hypothetically, he's in this squad with the understanding that there are four center backs. We don't know about Alonso, but there are at least four center backs who are going to start over him each and every match that they are available. And so in theory, he will not be playing much and he accepts that at cheap wages. He is not good enough, as I said, against UCL caliber opponents, but he is good enough for bottom of the half. And because of his ball playing ability, I take that farther up because of the speed of the Liga. And I say outside the top two, three, four in the Liga, he's good enough for five through 20. And I think anyone who overdoes how bad Eric Garcia is, is just looking for a scapegoat. This thing that he isn't good enough to be in the team, I think that's totally harsh. I saw people even talking about Faye, and maybe Faye will be good enough for that role even by April, but I just saw him in very few limited minutes. He immediately went back to Barca Athletic, so I think Xavi agrees with me that he needs more time to get his feet wet before it's his turn. He was only in Croatia, the second division of Croatia, that being Faye, for a few months, and yes, natural ability is natural ability, but he had just come from a program in Senegal to the second division in Croatia, has very few actual grown-up minutes under his belt. So give the kid a second before we're going to yell his name to throw him in there. And you've heard it from me before, too, about Eric Garcia. I get frustrated when we talk about players in absolutes. Eric Garcia is not a player that should be starting in any matchup where the lights are brightest. But comparing the center backs of Man City, which I saw plenty of, to Barcelona's is outrageous and almost an ignorance to the financial and business part of the sport. I mean, at the surface level, even. I saw a ton of Eric Garcia not being good enough to be a professional, even, or not good enough for La Liga. And again, that's crazy. After I just watched the goals and his midfielders did him no help, making him the scapegoat is just exhausting to me. I will drag him and I will torch him when he deserves it, like any player in this team. But today, I once again don't think that was the case. But he does certainly, and I agree with people, enter in that conversation about the drop-off concern. 
That drop-off from Kunde or Araujo to Sergio Roberto, which we saw in this match, the drop-off from your four center backs, and the idea would be that Inigo Martinez is comparable to Christensen and Araujo and Kunde. So the drop-off from your four center backs to your fifth is alarming. I agree with that. The drop-off from Balde to Alonso is alarming. And the quick fix, of course, on that back line. You get Fresneda or you get Arnold Martinez. You don't think about it. You go out, you spend the money. And I think Barca are trying. I do. But I don't think they can spend the money. I think they are talking to Cancelo and they're going through the motions on that. But even for Fresneda and Arnold Martinez, you get those players if you pay their release clauses. Arnold Martinez is $20 million, And then they also don't want to upset Girona too much because they just took Romeo. But again, pay the release clause, get the player. But Barcelona still clearly need funds to balance FFP. And, you know, you hear that they're going to register everybody. But at the present time, there are 13 players registered for the weekend. So unless it's a free transfer for less than $5 million, it can't happen yet. And it's fair for Barcelona to be waiting longer in this window, almost at the last moment, to say, okay, between Arna Martinez, Fresneda, and Cancelo, we got to get one of them. We got to figure out a way to get one of them. And it's also why Ansu's name came up again. But for all that ranting and raving I just did, to flip the positive part of this is the last few seasons, certainly, Barcelona's starting 11 have not been good enough for European competition. They just have not been at the level. And now this season, because that drop-off continues to be the theme throughout the preseason, the good news I have, the silver lining I have for all Kool-Aid is that the starting 11 and even 12, 13, 14, there is some confidence there. The problem is that the bench still isn't good enough because Barcelona still don't have the money to reinforce their bench and truly make this an elite squad with full rotation where you do not worry about injuries. They're just not there yet. Headline four is with could work. I say that as a question, but I also say that with a lot of sarcasm. Who would have thought that with could work would be the better way to say that? The reinforcements entered in the 62nd minute. Ansu, Abde, Farron, Gunigan, Inaki Pena, and Marcus Alonso. The wrinkle this time was that Abde was out on the right. Clearly, Xavi testing him there. We know that he's better on the left, but can he do the right wing job? Because I think for even Xavi, he didn't expect Dembele to leave until last week. And you can tell... Even in Xavi's mannerisms, the way he talks about Dembélé, this was not his plan. And that is a man, that being Xavi, even if he does give his players freedom, like the Pierce and I talked about, Xavi still wants to have a plan. And when his plan gets thrown out of whack, you can tell, even watching the Amazon Prime documentary, when things don't go according to plan for Xavi, <laughs> that little thing in his head, and we saw it as a player too, when things don't go according to plan, there is a great frustration in that man because he does want perfection. He does want to see his ideas playing out. He switched Barcelona to a 4-3-3, and then the team immediately looked more dangerous. Solomon, Basuma, and Skip were immediately stretched out of clogging the middle, and they were forced to defend in wide areas, which put much more reliance on Perisic. He was Tottenham's best player the whole match, I thought, and he gave Roberto nightmares. But with his buddies a bit busier in the second half, he didn't have the same finishing product or finishing effect. It felt like Barcelona at that point, though, had lost the match, but it was still just 2-1 for most of the second half when that change occurred. So, whether you want to say that the match had broken down and that's when it felt like a friendly, Xavi did change things up. He has the weapons, he has the tools to change things up in a match, and that's a good thing. Because headline five is Lamine Yamal Calma, uh, or not. Things really changed for Barcelona, really, really changed for Barcelona in the last 10 minutes, though. Fermin Lopez and Lamine Yamal on for Eric Garcia and Oral Romeu, and De Jong shifting again to center back for the second straight match when Barcelona were looking to get some kind of result. The 2-2, the assist comes from Lamine Yamal over the top, runs onto it. 
It was a nice ball from Kunde, the long ball, diagonal ball, perfect timing from the medium ball to stay on side as well against Regulon. And it was a well-timed run from Farron for the finish as well. Had to stay on side, did just that, and then finished it confidently. A little bit of confidence from Farron Torres for multiple matches in a row. Listen, people hate Farron Torres. I hear it. We know it. They're the players in the squad that people hate. And on the wings, he has not worked for Barcelona. Not denying that. Which is where he's supposed to play, though. That's what he was bought for. So to say that he's a waste of money, still totally fair. He has not been good on his price tag. But after watching this preseason, I want you to get up, look in the mirror, and seriously ask yourself this question. Has Ferran Torres been better than Lewandowski this preseason in the middle? I'm not saying that he has. Lewandowski is starting every game he's fit for. We know that. But I'm simply just saying, ask that question when you think about Ferran Torres and Lewandowski right now. Because Kules, we might not like the answer, and it doesn't say as much about Ferran Torres as it does about Lewandowski. But back to the positive, happy stuff. Lamine Mall, 16-year-old, picked up a foul too, and that only seemed to fuel his confidence at that point. I do like to see a young player Again, gaining confidence. He's a player that you want to see more of, and that's what's so exciting about it. I'm not talking about hype or anything like that. I'm saying what I say about all the young players that keep coming up and coming through. I said it about Ansu Fati. Again, this podcast has been around long enough that I was two years in when Ansu Fati made his debut. Enjoy the ride. Pedri at 16 under Kuman, same thing. Just enjoy the ride. Watching these kids grow from week to week and figure things out and problem solve and just have that special talent... With Ansu, who knows where they are at 20? At Ferran Torres for Valencia when he was 17, who knows where they are at 23, 24? Who knows? But at 16, in this moment, just soak in just that moment, watching this player learn like that. The 3-2, Ansu's winner, also being created from the Minimal. And I also had to say, just sitting on my couch, I know he's special, but wow, what a move on the right. Second defender came, yeah, sure. He faked out Regulon without the ball, that's, of course, what you're going to see in video over and over again. But what I'm excited about is what he did next. Push the ball forward once he got past Regulon. Instead of trying to dribble on Sanchez, he makes the quick pass to Ferran Torres as the third man. So he makes the right decision, but he didn't make the right decision until he had properly pulled Sanchez far enough over that he could not get back to Ferran in time. Ferran, who was wide open at that point, so the passing lane was open, Quick pass to Ansu, who was running into the space left by Sanchez, shifting over, and then Dyer was too slow to catch him. It was a tidy finish from Ansu as well. That is just a fun goal. It is simple, and yet it is sophisticated because it gets the job done and it takes advantage of space by making the right decisions, right timing, everything was clinical. Again, a nice little tidy finish, a perfect pass from Ferran Torres, and not only an important dribble to open up the space, but the right decision and timing on the pass from Luminium Mall. Really impressive was that third goal for Barcelona, I thought. And then by that time, Tottenham had totally checked out of the match. The 4-2, Abde from Fermin from Luminium Mall. Regulon came up limp. Fermin attacked that space, and the cutback to Abde was wide open. I'm not going to, again, say too much about that fourth goal, but another goal from Abde. It's exciting that the guy finds the spaces, and it is something for his confidence as well. Last thing to talk about. I don't know if I'm going to be doing a second show this week. This might technically be the second show. So take your time with the purest one. Take your time with this one. Because again, the season does start on Sunday. So I want to make sure that I'm ready for that as well. And don't want to just throw too much at you in a week. But we'll see. If any big news happens, we'll deal with that then. Because, speaking of big news, the last thing to go over, Xavi said after the match about Ansu, Ansu staying? 
I don't know. Until the 31st of August, a lot of things can happen. It will depend a lot on fair play. This is what I've been saying for months. Ansu's exit has 5% to do with football and 95% to do with his contract, amortization, and the blah, blah, blah of Barcelona's dire FFP situation, which, as we know, is different from the overall debt, which I don't want to do that for the billionth time, but there's a reason why Barca Athletic just grabbed one of the wonderkins of world football from the U-17s in Darvich, why the basketball ball in Sesto was able to replace Mitrovic with Jabari Parker and the wages that he was asking for, and why the Femini are still in the transfer window looking to bring in some big, big talents. There's a reason why all those other different departments for Barcelona are able to make those decisions. Barcelona know about the loan, the Goldman Sachs, they have to pay back for the stadium and all those different things. But when it comes to the first team, it is about FFP more than it is about total revenue because the club does have an idea on how to bring in revenue over the long term. Again, it's all about the wage bill and the revenue that is not projected to be made by the move to Montjuic being so essential. I know people keep saying loan. And in a perfect world, sure. Ansu Fati goes out on loan, bangs in 23 goals this season for whoever it may be in, I don't know, Wolves or keeps them up. Or I think he can probably do better than that, but his agent is Jorge Mendez. So that's just why Wolves came to mind first. But maybe even a better situation than that for him. But I understand people saying the loan would do the trick, but it wouldn't do the trick. Even if it does for playing time, it wouldn't do the trick for Barcelona because financially it has to be a sale because taking Ansu's wages off the wage bill doesn't really solve that much this season. Maybe it can help you bring in a right back and more importantly, maybe it helps you register everybody. And that's a big more worrying sign that we'll know about the next few days. Does Barcelona really truly need Ansu Fati to leave the club? to make that money on that transfer fee, to use it for the wage bill, to get their players registered. I don't feel that kind of pandemonium and problems around the club. I don't sense that, but that would be the worrying sign. That is the worst case scenario. Because this whole thing about Ansu and playing time, it's just, it's a weirdly, oddly timed for me. We heard from his own father that Ansu wants to stay, even though his own father said otherwise. Others have spoken for him about his intentions, but I think Ansu is as stuck in as Rafinha and Ferran Torres and all the other players that the board, I think very nicely through the media, asked, hey, you sure you don't want to look for another club so we can do the business that we want to do outside of you? The other worst case scenario to me, of course, maybe it's not worst case, but I am mortified about the Neymar rumors popping up at the same time as the Ansu stuff. I am asking this question and just throwing it out into the ether as well because I'm not sure the answer. I hear that fear that Barcelona needs a superstar, that the club might be worried that without a real, real superstar, which is what Lewandowski was supposed to be, and that Pedri might grow into, and De Jong, da 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 but that they don't have a real attacking super, super, superstar in the game to get people to manage week, that they're worried about the revenue, and they're worried about all those things. And I really just throw this question, as I said, out into the ether. I don't know the answer to this. Is Neymar really still that in a global market? Is Neymar really still that popular? I don't know. Like he plays 30% of matches for PSG. And not to say PSG was a wasteland. It's it's so weird because I don't really have a sample size. Like the internet doesn't tell us this. I try to look up jersey sales, but even that doesn't really do the trick. He's Brazilian. We know that sure, but it feels like other Brazilians are also making headlines in recent national camps and all that stuff. All I know is that I have next door neighbors, little kids, and they've got PSG gear on. But they had Messi and Mbappe PSG gear. Not even Neymar. They knew who Neymar is. But they're out there wearing their Messi PSG and their Mbappe PSG. Is Neymar really still that star? Your number 10 is Ansu Fati. 
And I know that he's not a star. I know his performances have not made him marketable the way Barcelona, I think, really banked on. But is Neymar really the answer? Because Jao Felix certainly isn't. And instead of saying, oh, is it Ansu or Neymar, as I said about the lack of amortization on his contract and the immediate financial relief that a sale of Ansu Fati would provide, is it really turning into Ansu Fati or a right back and registering your players right now? Because again, that is the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is just registering. But to me, even the worst case scenario of desperately trying to grab an 18 in Fresneda or a 20-year-old right back or Cancelo trying to find him on a loan, but you have to pay for that loan. Just to get that done, you've got to sell Ansu Fati, which as people who've listened to me for a long time know, just outrageous. So that's, I think, what the Barcelona season is going to be. And I'll sum it up, right? Outrageous. A preseason that didn't feel so outrageous, but I think you saw the new signings, the new pieces fit in well. Grunigan, man, still a question there. Didn't we talk about him here? He came on in the second half. I don't think there's much to say. I don't think we've seen almost anything from him in preseason. And that's not necessarily a knock on him. He wasn't really fit for the last two matches, so I'm interested to see what you get out of him because we have scratched the surface on he and Gabi in this team this season. All right, that'll do it. As I said, if you're still with me, please subscribe. If you're listening all the way to the very end, just please subscribe to the channel. Help me out so I can keep making these. And as always, until next time, hey, the league season starts on Sunday. Forza Barca. Barca.